Hi, and welcome to Small Business Success with Steve Strauss. I'm Steve Strauss, small business columnist for USA Today, author of the Small Business Bible, and host of the website, theselfemployed.com. Are you looking for small business success? Well, what are we waiting for? Let's get started. As always, this week's show is brought to you by our friends at Greatland, the W-2 and 1099 tax specialists. It's tax season, and our friends at Greatland have a great offer for us. You can save 15% on any W-2 or 1099 filing product right now if you use the code V12 at checkout. So go to greatland.com, use the code V12, get 15% off. Money. We all like it. We all want it. (laughs) How do you get it in your business? How do you get more of it? That is what we're going to be talking about. I'm going to be sharing a fun little story with you in a new segment we are calling Before You Heard of Them about one of the great business products ever. But how did it come to be? Well, when you find out what happened before you heard of it, it's going to be uh, really enlightening and I think fun to listen to. After that, we're going to be telling you how to get business credit. How do you establish business credit? I'm going to speak with Maria Service from Dun & Bradstreet Credibility Corporation. And Maria explains really in easy to understand terms how to establish business credit and how to get it for your business. And if you want to grow your business, at some point, you're going to probably need some credit. Uh, If you don't want to ever have your personal assets at risk in your business, you're going to need to establish business credit. So we need business credit and Maria is going to tell us how. So stick around and we're going to be getting some money lessons. It is amazing how many big products, famous entrepreneurs uh, started out so small. I'm going to tell you a story now in this week's segment of Before You Heard of Them about a product you've used, but how it came to be what it is, is really quite quite unique. So Chester Carlson was an only child. Uh, His parents died very young, and as a result, he spent many hours alone, tinkering, trying to make things work. He worked his way through junior college uh, and then Caltech before he received a degree in physics. And this is back in 1930. Uh, Unfortunately, he was unable to get a job as a physicist. And so eventually he landed a job uh, at the New York City patent office of a small electronics company. His job really was tedious. Uh, He had to assemble patent applications by hand. Now, patent applications, if you've ever seen one, you'll know that they are extremely long documents and Carlson's job of duplicating the drawings and the specifications was boring, it was tedious, and it was uh, hard work. Uh, Frustrated by this day job and by nature prone to inventing, Chester Carlson decided that there had to be a better way. Like so many entrepreneurs, there had to be a better way and that's what he thought. So he began to study photography and the physics of light because he was a physicist after all and paper treatment and printing and his months of research paid off when he stumbled upon something called photoconductivity. Basically, this is a method in which light affects the electrical conductivity of materials. Now, Carlson figured that if he could use light to cast an image, kind of a shadow, then he could use photoconductivity to capture that image and transfer it onto paper. And thereby, his patent job during the day would be much easier. But how did it go? Well, Carlson somehow found time uh, while now going to law school and working at the patent office uh, to perfect what he called 
electron photography. And on October 22nd, 1938, that date is 10-22-38, in the Astoria Apartment Building in New York, uh, that was housing his crude laboratory, Carlson created a blurry but legible electron photographic image that read 10-22-38, Astoria. Important? Oh, just a little bit. 47 years later, in 1985, that piece of paper became part of the permanent collection of the Smithsonian. Now, back in 1938, though, at the height of the Great Depression, Chester Carlson was hardly seen as a visionary, uh, barely had enough money to live on, had no money to market his product, and nevertheless, in 1939, he scraped together a couple hundred dollars, which was not an insignificant amount of money at the time, uh, and made a prototype. Didn't really work very well. Another was made, didn't work very well either. Uh, and soon, World War II came. It diverted everyone's attention, and Carlson went back to just demonstrating his process by hand using manual plates. He hoped to find a corporate sponsor for his invention, but he really had such such poor luck doing so that it became incredibly frustrating. Uh, no less than the likes of GE, RCA, and IBM all turned him and his product down. I mean, the thinking at the time was, why would someone need this kind of machine that made copies using electron photography when carbon paper worked just fine. So his years of fruitless leads, you know, really was leading Chester Carlson almost to bankruptcy and definitely it did lead him to divorce. But he kept going and finally he persuaded a small foundation, the Battelle Memorial Institute, continue to continue his research on his invention. Uh, they signed some royalty sharing agreement uh, in 1944. So this is a good, you know, six, seven years after he had invented his product. The break he finally was hoping for came in 1947. It was then that a guy named Joe Wilson, the president of a small photographic company named Halloyd, heard about Carlson's invention and thought, man, I've got to learn about this. As a boy in Rochester, Wilson had grown up uh, near the Kodak manufacturing plant. And while other boys dreamed of being, uh, at the time, Babe Ruth or Joe DiMaggio, Joe Wilson grew up wanting to create a business uh, not unlike uh, George Eastman's Kodak. But in 1947, Halloyd was not that company. It was just a, as I said, little photographic company. But then he uh, found out about Chester Carlson. They met in 1947. They went to see what this product was like. And here is what Joe Wilson said about it. Well, of course, it's got a million miles to go before it'll ever be marketable. But when it does become marketable, we have got to be in the picture. Now, this was a guy who is truly a visionary. And it also shows that often an entrepreneur needs a teammate. One entrepreneur knows one thing, one knows another, one can invent, one can market, and together uh, they can have a great product. Now, in one of their first steps, the team Halloy decided that they needed to rename the process, right? Who wants, to, who wants an electron photographic machine? Uh, they came up with a couple different ideas like clean copy or magic printer or dry duplicator. Uh, none of them really worked very well. So finally, they hired a language professor, and he suggested that they take the Greek word for dry... Uh, and to write and come up with a word meaning dry writing, uh, xerography. Around that same time, they decided that the name Halloy didn't make a whole lot of sense. And thinking back to his childhood, Joe Wilson thought, oh, I loved Kodak. Now, Kodak was also a name that was made up. Uh, George Eastman made it up because he liked the sound of the K. He thought that if he made up a word, people would tend to remember it more. He liked the K at the beginning and at the end, and that's how the word Kodak came to be. And uh, Joe Wilson said, well, xerography, why don't we just put an X at the end? And of course, what we're talking about is the Xerox and the Xerox machine. It took 10 more years 
and they finally came up with a product called the 914. Uh, it was named that way, by the way, because it could reduce, it could reproduce uh, documents nine inches by 14 inches. It cost $75 million to develop, uh, which is, in anyone's estimation, a, a lot of money. In all, it took 14 years to create the first workable photocopying machine from the time that Chester Carlson made his famous 10-22-38 Astoria image. So, was the Xerox machine a hit from the beginning? Nope, not by any means. The New York Times completely ignored the announcement of the uh, advent of the Xerox machine. The Wall Street Journal gave it a, a little five-paragraph story. Financial World gave it a little seven-paragraph story, and four of us decided not to run a story at all because Halloid only had $19 million in assets as a quote-unquote. Only Business Week saw the 914 was actually a revolutionary product, uh, and they put the 914 and Joe Wilson on its September 1959 cover. But that really uh, was the exception, not the rule, except that the product was a hit among the people. Uh, In 1962, just three years later, after the introduction of the 914, Xerox cracked the Fortune 500 for the first time, coming in at number 423 by 1965. uh, If you watch Mad Men, you know that Xerox was uh, an institution already. It had 7,000 employees by that time. And by 1970, Xerox was number 40 on the Forbes list. Today, of course, Xerox is one of those rare household words that is either a noun or a verb, right? We're going to Xerox something. And the company has more than 100,000 employees. You know, when he passed away, Joe Wilson in 1971 had a small blue card that they found in his wallet. And this is what it said. To be a whole man, to attain serenity through the creation of a family life of uncommon richness, through the leadership of a business which brings happiness to its workers, serves its customers, and brings prosperity to its owners. We can certainly say that Xerox did that. Um, but isn't that rare to hear of an entrepreneur who wants to bring happiness to its workers, serves his customers, and brings prosperity to its owners? He did that by duplicating that kind of success, and now you know what happened before you heard of him. Small Business Success is brought to you by Greatland, the W-2 and 1099 tax specialists. Go to greatland.com to learn more. Well, we've been talking in today's show about money, uh, how to get it, how to establish credit. And so I am very lucky that I have a expert in that today with us. Um, I'm speaking with Maria Service from Dunham Bradstreet Credibility Corporation. And well, first of all, Maria, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. So tell us a little bit about you know your background and um, what you do with, with Dunham Bradstreet. So I have 10 years experience with Dun & Bradstreet and three with Dun & Bradstreet Credibility Corp. Uh, My background is in software and in finance, uh, and I work with the customer service and client development segment. So, you know, I know that for many small businesses, they start out uh, using their own personal credit, Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually, if they're going to grow, they actually have to just establish business credit. I mean, would you, that's what I think at least. Do you find that to be accurate? That is accurate. Um, initially, they're going to have to be using both until they establish their full business credit file. But they, it is important that they separate personal from business credit. Uh, that way, there is no risk to them and their personal liability moving forward. So why don't you expand on that a little bit? Why do people need to have, because so many small business owners commingle. Their, their, their business is their life, and their life is their business, and it's one and the same. But a real business has separate 
business credit. Like Starbucks would never be working off of Howard Schultz's credit or vice versa, right? So why does a small business need to establish, you know, what you said it protects them. How does it protect them? So even if you have um, set up your corporation as either a limited liability or if you've incorporated, if you're using your personal funds or your social security number to secure funding for your business, you're still opening yourself up to liability personally because you're attaching your personal credit to whatever funding or whatever uh, risk you're associating with your business. Initially, until you establish your business credit, you will have to do that because you have nothing on your business to, to back it up. Right. But you're going to want to separate that so that you don't have personal liability, meaning if anything happens, any risk folds or, or uh, the funding falls through or, unfortunately, as many small businesses, they fold, then they won't be able to get your personal assets to recover that. And as guests of the show know, I am a recovering lawyer. I don't practice anymore. But you know, one of the things I, you know, I still have my license. And one of the things I do know is that it's just so important to um, separate your birth, your personal from your business because you don't get the corporate shield if you commingle. All right. So when you set up a corporation, the idea is you're going to set up a separate legal entity that's going to have the business assets and the business liabilities. So if something goes wrong, it is the business that is on the hook and not you and your home and your, you know, all your personal assets. So the other part of commingling is, besides putting your name on the dotted line, even if you didn't do that, but if you commingle, you, you still may lose the corporate shield, right? Correct. Correct. That's why it's important to have two very separate entities, yourself and your business. Okay, so let's go into that. So let's say someone you know is fairly new to business. They've been in business a couple of years. Maybe they use some credit cards and uh, the friends and family plan, uh, some of their own savings to start their business, like many small businesses do. And they think, okay, I want to expand. Now is the time. Don't go into more credit card debt, right? Do we right. agree on that? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <Right>? Worst <laughs> rates ever, yeah, right? That's right. Bad, you know, it's a trap. I mean, the credit cards are great because mm -hmm. it's easy access to ready cash as long as you have a plan for paying it back. But often people don't have a plan. So what they need to do is establish business credit. Mm -hmm. So how does someone establish business credit separate from their own personal credit? So establishing business credit, they're going to want to work with uh, vendors that give them terms. So by terms, I mean either net 30, net 60. They're going to want to see what they can do to get some flexibility with that so they can add them to their business credit file. What that's going to do is it's going to show people how they pay their, their vendors, and it's going to establish ratings based on their business uh, practices rather than personal spending habits. And should people be using their own Social Security number uh, and Experian, or should they be doing something else? Uh, they should not be using their Social Security number. They should be establishing what's called a DUNS number. A DUNS number is uh, the business, the business uh, uh, their own Social Security number. So, so it's a business version of a credit card number, and that's capital D, capital U, capital N, capital S. Yes, it's the business version of a Social Security number. So it is the number that's going to be associated with the business for the life of the business. Um, this number is used widely by federal government. It's used by many uh, large companies, and that's how they identify a business is by that number. So is it hard to get a DENS number, and how would someone go about getting one? Um, it's it's easy and it's free. So they can go online to damdb.com and request a free DUNS number within so 30 that's, days. I'm sorry. So that's for Dun and Bradstreet. Yes. So it's damdb.com. Correct. And within 30 days, they get a free one. 
Um, so they can just request it online. They just have to fill a form online, request it, and then it comes to them in 30 days. So then they start using that number to establish uh, little credit profiles around town. Right? Is that right? So they use that number to identify their business in the business world. If they want to build their file, they can do a couple of things. They can wait for vendors to start reporting on them, or they can proactively build their business by acquiring a service um, in order to do that. Okay, what do you think of this little trick I've learned along the way? And that is, you use your DUNS number at your bank, mm -hmm. and you open up a secured, save, you open up a savings account, mm -hmm. and then take out a secured loan against that savings account using the DUNS number. And because it's secured, the bank is going to give you a little loan. Maybe it's just $1,000 even. But the bank will, of course, report you as, being pay, as paying on time. And so all of a sudden, you have a bank saying, this person is a good this business is a good credit risk. What, what do you think? That's actually a really good way to start. To start. Um, then what you're going to want to do, which is what a lot of the scores and ratings for your business credit firewall based on, is on your how your vendors are reporting on you. So you're going to want to utilize your DUNS number, so your D-U-N-S number, uh, with every vendor that you're working with. So you can ask them to please start reporting on you uh, how you put your payment habits, how you're doing. And initially, they're going to give you cash terms. Uh, then you're going to want to extend them to, to net 30, net 60, however terms you can get. So the cash only terms are a good way to start, but it's you're building the credit with the vendor so that they can start giving you more terms. Fantastic. And so then it's like having a, a, a positive personal credit history. Then it's easier to get credit, I assume, once you have a you show a, a pattern of creating credit and then getting credit for your business. That's exactly right. And a lot of vendors will request and actually mandate that you pay cash on delivery. Um, once you start doing that, that's very much like a secured loan. Right. But with your vendors, get them to start reporting on you, or you can proactively add them with, with a service to get it done. But either way, it gets you building your business credit file with these vendors who are reporting on you. And, and we're just at, almost out of time here, but what do you think the difference is between a, a company that has established business credit and doesn't have business credit? Is, is, there, is there a perception difference and is there actually a legitimate difference in how their businesses are able to be run? Well, what, what it shows is it shows how independent uh, companies that are doing business with you are reporting on you. So if you're using personal credit, then you're using whatever you've done on your own to establish your credit file. However, when you have a business credit, you're showing how you're, you're paying your vendors, people that you require to do business with, and that is a history of how you're paying them on time. It tells people, if you're in it for the long haul, how you're running your business, it, how other people see that you're running your business, and it makes you more credit worthy. Absolutely. I mean, so many people who listen to this podcast are micro-entrepreneurs, the self-employed, that kind of thing. And... Um, if you want to be taken seriously and you want to take it to the next level, you just think about how a bigger business is run. They're, they're run with having separate credit and running it like a business. And so that's what we have to do too, right? That's correct. All that's right. Correct. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Steve. And everyone go check out dnb.com. Go get your DUNS number. Take care of business. Our show is brought to you by our friends at Greatland, the W-2 and 1099 tax specialists. And right now... It is tax season. You can save 15% on any W-2 or 1099 product by going to greatland.com and using the code V12 at checkout. So save 15%, go to greatland.com and use the code V12. You'll save money and you'll get your taxes done. And that is this week's show. 
thanks for stopping by. And stop by again next week for some more small business success. I'm Steve Strauss, and you can always visit me at theselfemployed.com. Thank you.